We're continuing on in the transforming power of life with God, and we are in the midst of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, and I'll make reference to a portion of that here in just a moment. As we think about what it means to pray for peace, a lot of people seem to be in constant turmoil in their lives. Life is tumultuous. We constantly are overwhelmed. Life can agitate us and aggravate us with the things that it throws at us. And I'm not just talking about unbelievers this evening. I'm talking also about believers, those of us who are Christians, followers of Jesus, and we deal with similar things in our lives. But in contrast to this are some people who seem to stand apart and have a confidence in their lives that is rooted in a confident peace. Regardless of what is going on around them, there are people that seem to have joy and rest in the world. What's the difference? What makes the difference for us for that to be a reality? Well, the scripture says here in Galatians 5, in verse 22, that the fruit of the Spirit One aspect of it, at least, is peace. The Holy Spirit produces this spiritual fruit in our lives as we submit to the power of God. This is where the fruit of the Spirit comes in. As we've been tracking with this particular line of thought, we've noted how fruit is a spiritual result of growth. Growth is a spiritual result of being surrendered to the work of God and the power and presence of spirit, the Spirit of God in our lives. And these are characteristics or qualities that God produces in us. That's the difference between people who are in constant turmoil and people who have a sense of peace regardless of what's going on around them. I want to tell you a brief story about a man by the name of Nicholas Ridley. Nicholas Ridley was the Bishop of London in the 16th century. He was initially thrown into prison uh, for his view on who should be the queen and related to some of his views on the church as well. But in March of 1554, Nicholas Ridley, Hugh Latimer, and Thomas Cranmer were moved to the town prison in Oxford where they were to debate in public with the Roman Catholic theologians. These men were Protestants in every regard. They were pushing back against the established church at that time that had drifted from the Word of God, and they were trying to bring them back to it while standing on the truth. And it's said that Nicholas Ridley defended his beliefs with particular brilliance. He was further subjected to heresy trials by the church. One of the issues that got him into trouble was that he supported the production of the Bible in the English language. You might have also heard the name William Tyndale. William Tyndale was a friend of his who had begun work on the translation in English of the New Testament. It was a dangerous prospect because since 1408, 
to translate anything from the Bible into English was a capital offense. The Catholic Church wanted it only in Latin. Now, my personal view is the primary reason they wanted it only in Latin is if the people couldn't understand it, they could control them. And Ridley was asked if he believed the Pope was the heir to the authority of Peter as the foundation of the church. He replied that the church was not built on any man, but on the truth that Peter confessed, that Christ was the Son of God. In 1555, he was sentenced to die by burning at the stake because of his witness for Christ and his stand for the truth. At that time, he was a man who was in his early 50s. I can relate to that. On the night before Ridley's execution, his brother offered to remain with him in the prison chamber to be of assistance and comfort. Nicholas declined the offer and replied that he meant to go to bed and sleep as quietly as he ever did in his life. Hugh Latimer was taken to the pyre with him the next day. It is said that Ridley kissed the stake and both men knelt and prayed. After a 15-minute sermon against them, urging them to repent, they were chained to the stake and a bag of gunpowder was hung around each man's neck. As the first took hold, Latimer was overcome by the smoke and died. But Ridley took the worst of it as he was burned to death. They made Cranmer watch, and he would go to his own death the following year. But because Ridley knew the peace of God, he knew that he could rest in the strength of the everlasting arms of his Lord, and that no matter what he faced, even the fiery pyre, God would be with him. And that's a testimony to us that no matter what the circumstances are, no matter how bad we think we have it or how bad we could have it, God is faithful. And because the fruit of the Spirit, specifically peace, we are to pray for peace in our lives and we are to live in the midst of that peace and experience it as a reality. So how can we experience peace as the fruit of the Spirit in our lives? Well, let's think through this. And I'm going to take you to several passages of Scripture as we do it. First of all, we are justified through faith and have peace with God. And I want to go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1 and 2 here. We are justified through faith and have peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. I introduce this because this is the foundation of where peace comes from. There are many people who talk about peace in the world and they talk about peace in their lives and peace in the country and and global peace, and there's a lot of talk about peace. But ultimately, there's only one way to find peace now and eternally, and that's through a relationship with God. And the only way that we can access it biblically 
is through repentance and faith. Now, Romans 5, if you know anything about Romans, you'll know that it's part of a new section in Paul's letter to the Christians in Rome. Chapters 1 through 4 make it clear that nobody can be right with God by the law of Moses. Now, the law is good. It it serves its intended effect. But the reason we can't be made right with God by the law of Moses is nobody can perfectly keep the law. That is impossible for us because we're all sinners. And one violation of the law makes us guilty and makes us sinners, as well as our sin nature. And he's writing this to Christians. And here's what he makes crystal clear in Romans. You can only be declared righteous by faith in what God has done for us through the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which secures your justification. So Jesus did what we could not do. He perfectly fulfilled the law. He willingly took the penalty that we deserved. And to be justified is to be declared righteous. So God declares the believing sinner righteous through faith in Christ. So you can think about it as a legal decree. When you are justified by faith, the issue of your salvation is never again in question. It is never again in doubt. So Romans 3 is directly connected to Romans 5. And Romans 5 is directly connected to Romans 8. Because there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So our justification secures us in Christ. And I like what uh, George Elton Ladd had to say. He said, the root idea of justification is the declaration of God, the righteous judge. That the man who believes in Christ, sinful as though he may be, is righteous. He is viewed as righteous because in Christ he has come into a right relationship with God. Now when you think about this issue of justification and this being the foundation of our peace and where we begin to understand what peace is, this also speaks to the point and the issue of why people who seem to have everything else in the world can still lack peace. You'll see people who, from the world's perspective, literally seem to have it all. They're successful in whatever their career pursuit is. They are people of financial means. They may have fame in the world and be well-known or be prominent for something that they have accomplished. And then they're still not satisfied, can't stay married, constantly in turmoil, their families are a wreck. There's all these things surrounding them that say there's a lack of peace. And the reason is obvious because if we don't have peace with God, we don't have peace at all, ultimately. So we have access to the grace of God through this justification. So the good news is you don't have to make yourself acceptable to God. There's nothing you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. God accepts you when you repent and believe in Jesus. So for us, 
we want to testify to God's goodness at all times. And we want to experience this gift that God has given to us. Now, by way of the same or similar pattern of what I did a couple of weeks back in the messages, I want to offer just a brief idea of a focus on prayer of how we would pray in this direction. Because one of my goals for this study has been that we not only study the concepts, but we think through now, how can we apply this to our prayer lives? So if I understand that I am justified and through that I have peace with God, then how would I pray? Well, here's an idea. Father God, thank you for the gift of salvation. I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. Thank you for the access I have by faith into this grace in which I stand. My hope rests in your glory. There is literally no part of the Bible that you cannot turn to a focus of prayer. It may not be a direct principle that you can apply in a prayer, but it might be something that you learn from a story or a circumstance. And you ask the Lord to help you in that or to help you grow in it. And it's the same here with this idea of peace. Second, God gives peace to those who focus on him. Now, Isaiah 26 and verse 3 and 4. You will keep the mind that is dependent on you in perfect peace. For it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You will keep the mind that is in, dependent on you in perfect peace, for it is trusting in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. Now, I think the capacity to focus and to block out distractions is desperately needed in our lives to be productive in anything. Distractions take your attention elsewhere away from what it could focus on. We face that battle every single day. In fact, we are being wired for distraction. We are being conditioned for distraction. I could give you a lot of different examples, but I just want to give you the example of your phone that you likely have near you. We are wired in being conditioned in that with notifications and with things that we should be buying and ways that we should be looking and emotions that we should be experiencing. And we get this constant bombardment. It's not an accident that many in the younger generation, especially are experiencing rising rates of anxiety and depression because they're being presented with ideals that are impossible to reach, but yet they're being taught that they should be reaching it. So they get into the comparison trap. And all of a sudden, it's in a downward spiral. Whether it's social media or advertising that targets us and points us to things that they think we should be focusing on, it's very easy for these distractions to take our focus off of God. But I'll tell you something else that will easily take your focus off of God if you're not diligent and intentional about it. And that is when trouble comes. When trouble comes... We can get tunnel vision to where all we're thinking about is the trouble. We can get ourselves in a low place where we start asking more questions than we probably should. 
we start feeling sorry for ourselves. We are in this state of mind that's not helpful for us at all. And I like what Charles Stanley said. He said, when trouble comes, focus on God's ability to care for you. When trouble comes, focus on God's ability to care for you. But that's not always easy to do. Here's what I think is necessary. When the trouble comes, before you get into all the why me, why this, why now questions, I think you need to focus and ask the Lord to help you focus on him. Say, God, I don't really understand this situation. I don't really know what I'm going to do. I don't really know what the outcome is going to be. But right now in this moment, I want you to help focus my mind on you because I know you care for me. Isaiah 26 is a part of a song of praise in which the biblical prophet Isaiah celebrates God's trustworthiness. It's a celebration of God's trustworthiness to provide all that his people need, including the ultimate need of salvation. And Isaiah is basically singing of how Israel will be judged for their sins, yet also restored by God in his mercy. And it's God who redeems and restores. It's it's God who gives peace that enters into our souls when we trust in him. So what Isaiah is urging here is he is urging a complete trust in God. And the peace that is indicated here in Isaiah 26 is soundness, completeness, and welfare in terms of our well-being. Soundness, completeness, and welfare. It's the word shalom. Now, when you greet someone with the word shalom, you're literally saying something. It's not just like one word that you learned that was different than your culture that you're using. It's common greeting in in Israel, of course. But when you greet someone with shalom, you are saying, may you be complete, whole, and at peace with absolutely no worries or concerns. That's what you're saying. So the good news is peace is possible even in a troubled world. You can choose to keep your mind focused on God. And everyone who chooses to keep their minds steadfastly on God can count on experiencing perfect peace while they do so. And only God can provide that complete and lasting peace. But we can be confident that God will give us a peace that lasts. I like John Gill's commentary on this. He said, this peace is true, real, and solid. In which sense the word perfect is used in opposition to a false and imaginary one. And it will end in perfect peace in heaven. Now let me just pause before I get any further into what he says here in this commentary. When we say as Christians, this too shall pass, it's true. It doesn't matter how bad the moment is or how dark the night is or how intense the pressure is, it's going to pass. Now, it might pass ultimately when you're in the presence of God in heaven, but can you imagine that we are going to experience perfect peace in heaven? We should long for that and want to prepare ourselves for that. Being thankful for the hope that we have. Hope is a valuable concept. 
And if you have hope that you lock in on and you take hold of, you can get through anything. But if you don't have hope, it seems like there's no end in sight. He says, moreover, the word perfect is actually not in the Hebrew text. It is translated that way, but it is literally peace, peace. Gill says it is double to denote the certainty of it and the enjoyment of it and the constancy and the continuance of it and as expressive of all sorts of peace that God grants to his people and keeps for them and with them. And as peace with God and peace with men, peace outward and peace inward, peace here and peace hereafter, and particularly it denotes the abundance of peace that believers will have in the kingdom of Christ in the latter days. A paraphrase of Isaiah 26 says this, people with their minds set on you, talking about God, you keep them completely whole, steady on their feet because they keep at it and they don't quit. Depend on God and keep at it because in the Lord God, you have a sure thing. Psalm 119 and verse 165 says, abundant peace belongs to those who love your instruction and nothing makes them stumble. When we love the word of God and we build our life on it, it's a key for us to experience peace. We love the word of God because we love the one who wrote the book. His words have meaning because they help us to know him personally. And to obey God's law means to embrace it as the rule of your life. How can we know if we have abundant peace, great peace, peace upon peace? I think we have peace in our conscience. We have peace that comes from a contented heart. We have peace that comes from a happy confidence in God. If you have peace, there ought to be a joy about you. And if you've got a a negative, critical, discontented spirit about you, it's not because God is not able to deliver you from it. If you ask him to help you, he will change your countenance. And the Bible indicates that nothing makes those stumble who love the instruction of God. The word means nothing. Nothing's going to shake us. Nothing's going to destroy our composure. Nothing's really going to be able to get under our skin. No, it does not say that there won't be stumbling blocks of sickness and personal failure and disappointments and sadness and unexpected tragedy and situations that we don't have an immediate answer for. But what it says is God will keep you in the midst of that. I like the way one preacher put it in practical terms. He said, uh, if we are attacked, we will not stumble. If we are ridiculed for our faith, we will not stumble. If we struggle with temptation, we will not stumble. If we face hard times and bad circumstances, we will not stumble. If we are consumed with fear or worry, we will not stumble. And if we are deeply troubled by tragedies in the world, we will not stumble. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6 says, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the spirit is life and peace. 
There's a difference between living by the flesh and living by God's spirit. Those who live by the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. Those who live by the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Sin leads to death. The spirit leads to life and peace. So peace comes through prayers of meditation on God and his word. And let me suggest another emphasis on prayer here. Father God, would you help me focus my mind on you? There's so many things that distract and concern me. I focus my mind on you because I trust in you. I love your instruction. Keep me from stumbling as I meditate on your character and the truth of your word. And then third, prayer and petition with thanksgiving brings the peace of God. We go now to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 and 7. Familiar passage to you. I'm sure some of you have it memorized. If not, you know the components of it. It's Paul writing to the church at Philippi, and here's what he says. Don't worry about anything or be anxious for nothing. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So mark this down. Peace comes through making your request known to God. You got a situation? Let your request be made known to God. You got a health concern? Let your request be made known to God. You got a financial need? Let your request be made known to God. You got an anxious heart and a cluttered mind? Let your request be made known to God. And don't worry about anything. This is a command, not an option. Now, someone's described anxiety as a thin stream of fear trickling through the mind, and if encouraged, it cuts a channel into which the other thoughts are drained. And I think that's so true that uh, fear can cause us to get singularly focused, and then that brings anxiety in, and then that brings the weight of the world down on us. There's a sense of anxiety in the world around us, and many people are in that daily and personal struggle. We're living at such a fast pace, the way the culture is. We're bombarded uh, by the troubles of other people in ways that we weren't in generations past. And it brings stress and more stress. I mean, you turn on the news and you see 30 or 40,000 people died in an earthquake. I don't know about you, but that kind of raises my blood pressure up a little bit. That's stressful. There's still people that they're looking for. I can do very little about it other than pray for it, maybe contribute to the relief, but it's right there in front of me. The whole world's like that. It's, It's right before us, and that's not even speaking of all of our problems, our own individual problems. And we need the Lord's help to overcome that. And if we're not careful, we can begin to live in the land of what if. And that's a tempting place to dwell in. It's also a very dangerous place. Chances are, all of us have experienced that. And 
if we place ourselves in the role of God, that pushes him to the background. And that's something that we need to push back against. And it says in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. So here's what that says, practically speaking. There is no area of your life that God is unconcerned about. You say, well, God doesn't care about that. Yes, he does. God doesn't care about my personal need or that small issue or whatever. Yes, he does. Because you're his child. Are there things in the lives of your children that you just flat don't care about that are concerns to them? If, if that's true, you're a sorry parent. God's a good father. He cares. He knows. He's with us. And prayer is used here both as a broader word, meaning all of our communication with God, so it's that praying without ceasing concept, but then prayer is also used directly of asking God to do something. And when you pray and offer petitions to God with thanksgiving, it will protect you from that negative and complaining attitude that sees what you don't have rather than what you do have. And here's the simple promise. It's plainly in the scripture. The promise is that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind. It's beyond our power of thinking. It is our experience. The word guard is used of military action. And the imagery is that of God doing something to guard over our hearts and our minds. Maybe tonight your heart and your mind needs guarding over because it's exposed to the worry and the anxiousness and everything that goes along with it. Listen to this prayer in third part. Father God, many things worry me and cause me to be anxious. I come to you in prayer and petition with thanksgiving, and I make my request known to you. When I am troubled, I bring it to you. Thank you for peace that surpasses all understanding. Guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus. I want to caution you at this point as well. Sometimes the issues of worry and anxiety are couched in terms of simply needing to have more faith. Your faith is just deficient. It's the reason you're worried about that. You just need to be stronger. It's the reason you have that anxiety. No, there's some really bad things that we have to deal with. Some very serious health concerns and family needs and job issues and everything that life throws at us, as well as just struggling in the flesh. These are real things. So it's not a message to us about we need to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and just have more faith as though it were that easy. Instead, it's a total turn of our countenance toward God. It, it's a posture toward God. It, it's resting, first of all, in that justification that you have in Jesus. It's understanding what God has done for you and growing in your dependence on him, growing in your sense of peace, growing in your uh, exercise of prayers and petitions. And as you do that, God does make your faith stronger. God brings you along the way, but you know what else? God is incredibly patient with our weakness. And the moment that we stop thinking that we have weakness and brokenness in our lives, 
is the moment that pride takes over. And it causes us actually to be more dependent on ourselves and less dependent on God. So there's very much a spirit of humility in this passage. And the need for us to bring it all to God and lay it at his feet. Because he cares and he's able. And then we are to sow in peace. And if you sow in peace, you will reap a harvest of righteousness. We look now at James chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18. I'm going to move fairly quickly on this point as I come toward a conclusion. Sow in peace and you'll reap a harvest of righteousness. James chapter 3 beginning in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Now let's think about the contrast here just for a moment of what's in front of us. Wisdom from the world is driven by human philosophy. The wisdom of the world always first and foremost seeks the good of self before anything else. If that is in a way that is selfish and prideful and not for the good of others around us as well, it's not going to end up in the right place. But here's the contrast. God's wisdom is pure. Now, in part, it's hard for us to even understand really what's pure. We know what pure is. I mean, we get the concept intellectually, but a lot of times our motives are mixed. Our actions are mixed. Our thoughts are mixed. It's a constant battle for the Lord and asking him for the spirit of God to be searching us and shaping us and helping us and growing us to be more like Jesus. But God's wisdom is pure. It's peaceable or peace-loving, literally. And it puts a high value on easing conflict and seeking the good of others. So true wisdom pursues mercy and all the good that flows out of it. Now, here's where some people get into trouble with this line of thinking. Some people are willing to do anything for the sake of peace with others. And in being willing to do anything for the sake of peace with others, they'll compromise purity. They'll compromise truth. There is nowhere in the Bible that tells us for the sake of peace that we are to deny truth. Nowhere in the Bible tells us that. In fact, truth a lot of times is going to bring conflict before it ultimately brings any kind of peace. And there is a beautiful word picture here of us actively sowing something so that we can reap something. So let's, let's follow what the imagery is here. I want you to imagine fields that are full and they're ready to harvest. The crop of the field is righteousness and goodness and everything else for those who belong to God. Everything else that we would hope to see in the world. Who planted the crop? The crop was planted by those who desire peace. The role of the peacemakers is elevated. One's committed to living peacefully in full confidence that God is providing it for them. And peace-loving lifestyles lead to fields of righteous choices as a result of living by heaven's wisdom. So here's the practical application of this. 
peace has to be cultivated with effort and careful attention. And the point is simple. You reap what you sow. If you sow peace, you will reap peace. If you sow conflict, you will reap conflict. If you sow humility, you will reap humility. The Bible is very clear about this, of sowing and reaping. The principle is very clear. So what we want to do is we want to understand the wisdom of God and we want to sow the right kinds of seeds and a harvest of righteousness will be that we will conform to God's will in thought and deed. So the seed sown specifically is the word of God and the gospel. Isaiah 32 and verse 17 says, The world of righteousness will be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance forever. So I say to you, peace comes through prayer for wisdom so that we can cultivate peace. And here's the prayer direction that I would take. Father God, I ask you for wisdom from above that is pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits unwavering and without pretense. Strengthen me to sow the fruit of righteousness in peace and to cultivate peace in my life. And now I conclude with 2 Thessalonians 3 and verse 16. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. If I ask you, what is the source of peace? It's really not the right question. The right question is, who is the source of peace? And the answer from the Bible is that God is the source of peace. He's the maker of peace. He's the one who gives peace. And there is no true and lasting peace apart from him. And we as children of God are in the midst of God making all things new. And we are headed toward a heavenly destination. I want you to imagine it with me just for a moment. We're headed toward a heavenly destination where there is going to be perfect peace for all of eternity. You're not going to wake up in the morning with a worry on your mind. You're not going to go to sleep if you need sleep and have your mind cluttered with all the stuff that you've got to do. It's just going to be perfect peace because we're going to be in the presence of the one eternally who is the embodiment of peace. And may Jesus grow us in our likeness of him so that it begins to be a reality now and not just in the by and by. Pray with me if you will. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We thank you for the fruit of the Spirit that produces peace in us. May our pursuit of peace not be at the expense of righteousness, but may it be consistent with your holy character and with who Jesus is as our Savior and Lord. Holy Spirit, show us the things that are hindrances to growing in peace. And we long for that day when we're going to be with you forever. That beautiful promise of home in heaven with you. 
Will you compel us with the hope that we have because of who we are in Christ to live as Jesus lived and as we're called to live? And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.